Welcome to Oikos. How's everybody doing? Wow. Uh, that was bright. It must be getting really dark outside. So last night, Sarah and I watched a movie. I'm probably going to mess up the name, but that's what I do. Is it Patriot Day? Thank you. So we watched Patriot Day. Has anyone seen that? Okay. Do you all know what it's about? So the Boston Marathon, the bombing at the Boston Marathon, there are two young guys who did this. They decided that uh, no matter what was in their way, they were going to accomplish something to just mark what they believed. Well, the movie characterizes them as pretty awful guys, right? I mean, just corrupted to the heart, not caring about life outside of their own, wanting to make sure that they cause as much hurt in the name of revenge as they could. Now, I want you to think about them. Can you think of anybody else that would kind of be in that level? Just shout it out. I mean, Suzanne isn't here today, so she usually gets us going. <laughs> Hitler. Right? I mean, I don't know if many people really knew Hitler well because he kind of made himself unapproachable and untouchable. But his actions would speak that he had something wrong with his heart. Who else? What's that? Madeline O'Hare. I don't really know her that well. She's scary. Who? Okay, so the terrorists on September 11th. So the guys that got into planes, used box cutters, did whatever they could to destroy life. That's pretty good. Anybody else? My hearing's so bad, I'm getting old. So say it again. What? <laughs> Can you tell? I was right. <laughs> when you ask for responses, sometimes you don't know, so you just have to go, I'm going to act like I maybe know, but I really don't. Who was that? Okay, in Uganda. Genocide. Right? So let's get these people in our mind, because if I gave you that list of people, would you invite them into your house? Or would you accept their invitation to their house? See, this is one of the reasons why I love missional communities. In fact, when we talk about missional communities and we first put this out, I described it as an open invitation to anybody. That no one was too far gone. That no one could be turned away. That if they showed up at your door, it was providence. And that you look for the Lord to do something good. Now, you can imagine 
that maybe a few of my leaders said, you mean anyone? Because maybe they didn't have a historical list of bad characters. But I think we all have a list, right, of those, and that's the key word when we start saying those people, those types of people, or maybe more personal, more personal, that person, anybody but that person. I was so glad that you guys didn't say my name when I was soliciting, but Guess what? There are people out there that would say, no way would I ever have Aaron Lytle to my house. And that's why I love missional communities, because we have an open invitation. And even though some of my leaders were like, "Uh, well, no. In fact, I can remember a couple of times that there were individuals who were not really associated with us. They had either called me on the phone or they just showed up. <laughs> and we, we just had to be in the faith of the Lord that whatever we were going to do was going to be good. Now, I'm going to share this because the Schmitz aren't here. They're actually in Corpus Christi and it's their own fault. So here it goes. Sylvia and Nelson were actually one of the leaders that were like, I, this is why we can't do this. You mean we're going to have strangers in our home? People that we haven't pre-qualified <laughs> to come into our house. And when I say pre-qualified, for Sylvia, that means that she's checked the list. Because she's concerned, or she was, but there was transformation in Sylvia the more and more people who came through her door, the less afraid she was that someone was going to steal something or come back later and murder her. And the more she started to see, maybe if I trust that this is of the Lord, I can put it all in the Lord's hands. I think what I have found is that Jesus has invited us into his home. And he's invited everybody that we've spoken about so far into his home to be a part of his house. Not everyone accepted that invitation. And I think one of the things that I have found is that sometimes we don't want to accept that invitation either. Because we look at ourselves. And if we're not looking at someone on the outside, sometimes we just look on the inside. And we go, maybe I'm not quite worthy to be in the presence of Jesus today. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you go, I just don't think I should even be here in the midst of the holiness of God that he's inviting me into. So what areas of your life are you ashamed to have Jesus come and be a part of? Just think on that a little bit. One way you can think about it is think about your life as a house. Some of us have a house where we're willing to invite anybody and everybody over. Some of us, maybe the house, the front room isn't quite put together. 
And so we're a little bit concerned about someone like Jesus coming in that house. Maybe some of us have taken all that stuff and we just shoved it into a room to close the door. Have you ever done that? If you haven't done that, then... I mean, Sarah and I have done that so many times. It's called the five-minute cleanup. You take everything that is not where it's supposed to be, and you just put it in one spot. Well, I think we do that with our lives. All the stuff that isn't quite right that we're a little bit concerned about Jesus seeing, but you can see everything, but we think he can't. We put it in that little closet, or we put it in that spare bedroom that no one goes into. Or maybe you're one of those where your neighbor's You're so concerned that if someone like a character like Jesus was so open to come to your house, you wouldn't have Jesus come from the into the front door, but you would take him around back. I bet some of you have felt this way that maybe it'd be easier if the neighborhood didn't really know and he just came in the back door. Because he's still with me. It's just that no one knows, and it's easier that way. I think we intentionally close the door in some of our rooms simply because we think what we put in there is unredeemable, unchangeable, that transformation can't come. But I actually do believe we kind of do like this idea of redemption. I mean, it's a good thing, right? You're being loosed from a bond. The word redeemed. You're being set free from captivity or slavery. You're being bought out of debt. Someone is taking their spare cash and buying what you have lost and giving it back to you. I think we like the idea, but some of us look at our own life and feel we are so far gone that no one would be willing to pay a ransom for us. I think most people, or at least almost most people, really like the idea of redemption. It sounds good. But I think we struggle that when Jesus said he would redeem us, that he actually really meant it. That when he comes into your house, he actually will go into that room that you've shoved everything away. And I don't know if you've ever cleaned out a house of somebody, a hoarder. Some of us may be hoarders here. But if you've ever gone into a house of someone who's really a hoarder, There's magazines stacked everywhere. There's a sense of, please don't touch that. Don't go in that room. My my step-grandma, she was a hoarder. I mean, she had 24 beds in her house. Now, down in the basement, it was like one big bed because they were so close together. 
but there, you could sleep a lot of people there if you could get to the beds. Sometimes we'd have to move stacks of stuff away from the beds. And there's a certain smell that when I still smell it today, I immediately go down to the basement of my grandparents' house where I go, I really don't want to stay here. But what Jesus does is he actually goes down there. He goes past the smells. He goes past the junk. He goes past the dirt. To begin redemption. I think we struggle with accepting that we don't have anything to offer in this redemption. Have you ever had someone clean your house and you just sit in a chair? Well, it's kind of weird. For a short time, Sarah and I had a maid and she would come through and it was when the kids were much littler and we were struggling just keeping our house together. And so we decided we're going to try to find a way and we found this person that would clean the house within our budget was pretty awesome. And I would be at home at different times. And I remember us trying to clean the house quick before the maid would come. Because <laughs> we wouldn't want her to see all this stuff. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, did you see the bathroom? So I'm in there cleaning the bathroom. There was a few times that I was in there working and I'd be on my computer and I'd be working and she was doing all this stuff and I'd be like, I can't do this. So I had to sit, I put it down and then I would start cleaning with her. <laughs> well, we work this way with redemption. Jesus comes in to clean through, to restore us, to pay for things we can't pay for. But we... We search our pockets. We try to find, how can I help? How can I help you? We have no secret funds stashed away that we can just pull from to pay for our ransom. We have to depend on him. We have no way to loosen our bonds, and we have no way to escape our captivity or our prison. We have nothing to offer. I think that's why we have a problem with redemption. Because we think we need to offer something. So what does redemption mean in God's word? So to redeem or redemption. In the Old Testament, it involves a deliverance of bondage, a physical deliverance out or a ransom that is paid. It is a physical thing. It comes from three words, pada, gal, and kapar. If you look at these three words throughout the Old Testament, it is always mainly about deliverance. Paying something to get someone out of trouble. If you go into the New Testament, the New Testament still requires that payment of price, but instead of a physical thing, it is more moral. It requires a ransom that is 
because as humans, we are held in captivity of sin. And there's only one payment that will get us out. There are two root words, agorazo and lio, the Greek words. So if you ever want to, you know, just read in Greek or Hebrew, there you go. I gave you some stuff. If you look at these words, you will find, again, redemption, not so much the word redemption, but maybe ransom many times. So when you see the word ransom, those are the words they're using to remind us that there's been a price paid. There's usually kind of like a marketplace transaction that's taking place in the New Testament when he talks about redemption using agarazo or lio. An important text to see how Jesus understood what redemption was is in Mark chapter 10, verse 42. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He declares that his mission is not only including a self-sacrificial service, that he would be last instead of first, that he would serve rather than be served, but it also includes that he would give his life as a ransom for many, the payment. Now, this payment wasn't to Satan. It was to his father. So that we could have a walkway, a pathway into the family. The death of Jesus provides a deliverance that includes the forgiveness of sins. St. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 1. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself by paying a ransom through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for this glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Not only does it include a forgiveness of sins, but also then a newness of life. And we see this in Romans chapter 6. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? You guys are laughing like, oh, that's, I've never thought of that idea. Well, he says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, that when the water washes over you, you are drowned and then brought back to life. That we are joined in him with his death, 
For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now also may we live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we shall also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free. We were ransomed. We were delivered. Our bonds were loosed from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. So the central theme of Scripture is not that we paid for our redemption or that we redeemed ourselves or that we are unredeemable. The central theme of redemption in Scripture is that God has taken the initiative to act on our behalf on something that we could not do that we could not even come up with a good idea to do. That he set in motion at the very moment that Adam and Eve walked away from him, a way for us to be redeemed. I love the story of the calling of Matthew. I want you to think back to those characters that we named at the beginning. And I want you to think about those individuals, maybe in your life, that you still would say, they're not coming over to my house. And I'm definitely not going to theirs. Because when I read the story of the calling of Matthew, it reminds us, and it reminds me, how much Jesus looks past our past. And all he sees is our future with him. In verse 27, it says this. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. Wouldn't that be great if it was that easy? It must be because Jesus did it. Jesus said to him, so Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. Now, you know the story that Matthew was seeing as a deplorable, unredeemable, evil guy. He was seen as a traitor from the Jews, and he was just a lackey for the Romans. In all ways, he was disposable. The only people that liked him were other tax collectors, and maybe those who he decided to just kind of not look at their taxes that day. He was probably had such a bad rep that the moment that he took up this call to follow Jesus, I can only imagine the sinfulness of gossip that began to erupt, not just of those Pharisees and Sadducees, but of the disciples themselves. I bet they thought at one point, Jesus is going to slap down some parable because that's why he's calling this Matthew so that Matthew will walk away. 
And they were just waiting for Jesus to slap them down. But instead, Matthew kept following. And he followed for a time, even though many would say, he's not worth it. How many people have you looked at lately that you've said, they're not worth it? Or maybe you looked in the mirror and you said, I'm not worth it. Matthew continued to go deeper into Jesus' life, so much so that by verse 29, he decides to hold a party. And he decides to invite Jesus into his house and expose any secret that was left to expose to Jesus and many others. And I do believe they went through the front door. That's not in Scripture, but I believe they did. Verse 29, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as a guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Sometimes it's not us that see ourselves as unredeemable, but it's others around us that have classified us into you're not worth it. Or God's used up too much of his goodwill on you already. You've had too many chances. You'll never change. But Jesus answered them in verse 31. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Satan wants us to believe that we are unredeemable. And if he can speak to us enough and try to convince us enough that we need to take a part of our redemption or we're too far gone for our redemption, he begins to see victory. And if he can't do that, then he begins to invade the minds of those around us. And I think his most successful lies when it's someone who we actually love says something to us like, you're not worth it. You're unredeemable. But Jesus came to die for both you and for me so that we could face that lie and instead reply, I am redeemed. So for all those who maybe walked in today and said, that's me. I'm on the outside looking at all those people saying they, they aren't worth it. Jesus is saying, I want you to look with new eyes. I want you to invite them into my house. They are redeemed. And for those of you who are standing on this side of the mirror and looking at yourself and saying, I'm not worth it. If you guys knew what was really going on in here, you would agree. I'm not worth it. But Jesus instead places himself in front of you and says, 
You are redeemed. I've paid a price. Your bonds have been loosed. Your spirit has been made free. Your identity has been claimed as my son or my daughter. Because Jesus can. We won't be able to understand why he can. We won't be able to understand why God looked at us even though in the height of our rebellion said they're worth it. We can't understand it because we can't understand the depth that the love of the Father has for us enough that he would send his son to die for us so that we could be redeemed, so that we could have a future. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right by God through Christ. Let's take a look at this video, a testimony from Michelle Vanderwater talking about what it looks like to start as someone who would see herself as unredeemable, but through the words of Christ begin to accept that she is redeemed. I grew up here in Houston, and when I was little, I was um, always like super conscientious about being a very good girl and always following the rules and doing everything just so, and I wanted to please my parents tremendously, and so I really focused on that. I made good grades and all of that. The turning point for me was when I was 13, my mom thought that I was using drugs. And I was so devastated by that because I was very, very against drugs. And so um, at that point, um, but really I was just having a hormonal episode and so she thought that I was using drugs but I wasn't and would never. Um, but basically what that did to me was it made me think, well, you think I am? So uh, you think that's the kind of person that I am? So that's what I'm going to be. And I still never did do drugs because I was so against them myself personally. But um, instead, I turned to drinking. And so at age 14, I started drinking just with my friends and on the weekends. And by the time I got to college, I was probably drinking at least three or four nights a week. And along with that, um, I still made really good grades because I wanted to make good grades and I wanted to do well and I was still a very high achiever. But I kind of took on this role of work hard, play hard. And I continued on with that well into my 20s um, when I met my uh, first husband at a nightclub. And um, wrong place to meet someone and we got married less than a year later and um, it was a very unhealthy relationship and um, during 
really during my whole early 20s, I just continued to spiral down, down, down. But I balanced it by doing really, really well at work, doing really, really well with lots of things. Um, but meanwhile, inside, I just felt like I was trash. So it wasn't until I had Rachel that I started to see that I did not want her to grow up looking into my eyes and seeing that because I felt like she was going to be able to see into my eyes that I was trash and um, I didn't want her I didn't want to repeat the cycle so I started going to church and I started um, crawling out of the hole that I'd gotten myself into and um, filed for divorce uh, moved back in with my parents and um, finally got my own place and but still during that time and really all through my 30s I thought um, there was no way that I could ever uh, be forgiven truly forgiven for the sins that I had committed in my 20s and um, finally uh, through talking to Don Christian and Pastor Black and Aaron, I um, started to see that Jesus really does love me and that um, I don't have to do anything to um, redeem myself. It's already been done. He's already died on the cross for me to redeem my sins and to cleanse me and I don't have to I don't have to worry about it I don't have to carry that baggage around anymore I can let it go and I can be healed once and for all um, took about 50 years for me to get there but that's okay um, because I do truly feel like he loves me and that, that I'm okay the way I am even with all my junk uh, I'm okay. My name is Michelle Vanderwater and I am redeemed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that not just for Michelle, but for all of us, that you have made us okay, that you have cleansed us not by the things that we've done or the things that we tried to do or the things that we hope to do or the way we wish we could be or how we think others want us to be, but that you have cleansed us, that you've given us an identity as your children, that you have invited us into your house because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And we give you thanks that all of us in this room right now have that invitation to step into a new life with you. And that each day, for those of us who have been baptized, we are able to remember that in baptism, we are baptized into your death, but we are also baptized into your life. So Lord, allow us to remember that each day as we wake up to put aside the lies that Satan tries to tell, 
and instead step into the life that you freely give. In your name we pray, amen.